Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and here we are in today's edition, episode 105 of Bible Bites, as we keep reading through the scriptures this year. My reading today is found in 1 Kings 8 through 9. 1 Kings chapter 8 is a very long chapter, but it is filled with rich treasures of the beauty of God, of the beauty of worship, the beauty of his temple, the beauty of the words. I'm telling you, there's just so much in chapter 8. And then chapter 9, it continues a little bit into chapter 9 and gives us more details in chapter 9 as well. So I wanted to bring out a few of those um, points, a few of those nuggets from 1 Kings chapter 8. What we find here is the dedication of the temple. Solomon, if you'll remember in the previous chapters, has been involved in building projects. And the one of the key ones he's been involved in is building the temple of the Lord. And we've read about how he's doing that in different places. But now we see where he's finished the building of the temple of the Lord. And now it's time to bring in the vessels and the furniture. It's time to set the ark of God in its place in the inner sanctuary. It's time to welcome God. It's time to anoint and consecrate this building unto him. It's time to dedicate the temple. And that's what we find here. It's also found in Second Chronicles chapter 5 through 6. I want you to notice a few things. It's happening during the fall feasts of the seventh month. The fall feasts included the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Sukkot, or Tabernacles. This is the one that Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, is when Solomon is dedicating the temple here. And the first thing that happens is he brings in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, representing God's beautiful, precious presence. And this happens on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he's bringing it in. Um, and I believe that this forms the pattern for us. Uh, everything in Solomon's reign, in a sense, forms a pattern for us that will play out also in the reign of Jesus when he comes at his second coming and establishes his kingdom on the earth. I want to read you um, verse 5. Well, verse 5, I just want to mention about verse 5, that this is speaking of extravagant worship and joy. We'll read it at the end also when he just, he sacrifices hundreds and thousands of animals. He is extravagant in his worship and in his joy at this day and at the dedication of the temple and the glory of the Lord that will fill it. Praise God. But I want to read you verse 6. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim and beloved to its place my question is it has it had a central place a sacred place in the inner sanctuary and and i just want to challenge us 
Does God reside in the inner sanctuary deep inside of us? You know, the New Testament says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's us. God needs to have the central place, the deepest place, the, his own place inside of us that's sacred and special and we welcome him in there. What a beautiful thing when the Ark of the Covenant came in to the temple here in 1 Kings chapter 8. And then in verses 10 through 13, we see the beauty of God's glory as he fills this temple. I want to read verse 10 through 12 through 13 to you. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. I just... I was so struck by that. Even this morning before I read this chapter, I woke up and I was just struck by the Lord having a place and just inviting the Lord into our home, inviting Him, making Him a special place. You know, some people might even make Him a special chair. And, you know, just as a visual, not that we worship that, it's not some idolatrous thing, but just as a just as a visual to give him his own place and a place of honor and make our homes welcome to the Spirit of God. How beautiful is that? Praise God. And so Solomon did that. He wanted this to be a place for God to dwell in forever. And beloved, I believe that's the desire of God's heart that we become those houses where he can dwell in forever. Hallelujah. I want to also point out, you'll find in verse 15 and again in verse 24 that Solomon repeats this again in 24, but he is blessing the Lord. Verse 15 says, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled it saying, and then he goes on and he talks about what God promised. And I want to just point out that our God, the God of the Bible, the God that we believe in, the God that we serve, is a God who not only speaks with his mouth, but he does what he said. You know, a lot of times we have, we have children and we say all kinds of things to them and we make all kinds of promises. And many times they're well-intentioned. Many times we don't ever intend to break any of those promises. Matter of fact, now, especially with my grandchildren, I tend to be very careful about what I try to promise them because I want to make sure that I can fulfill it. But God is the ultimate promise keeper Every single thing that he has said, he will fulfill with his hand. Look through the whole of the Bible and you will see evidence of that, that he spoke and then he did exactly what he said. He spoke and he did it exactly like he said it would do. He would do it. And beloved, that gives us hope and the assurance 
that what he's yet what he has said that has yet come to pass in our own lives and even in the coming of the Lord will come to pass exactly as he said because he is the God who both speaks and does exactly what he said exactly how it needs to be done he's the ultimate promise keeper now i want to read you verse 27 of 1 Kings 8. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. You know, Solomon is recognizing here, and they didn't have telescopes in that day. They didn't have the Hubble space um, telescope spacecraft. They didn't have NASA. They didn't have all of that stuff to take them out and to let them see beyond what they could see twinkling at night in the sky. But Solomon recognizes here that there's, there's a heaven of heavens. There's beyond the earth. There's things that God has made, celestial beings and bodies. And we have even more information on that now after NASA and Hubble and, and all of that, that that we've been able to understand through the exploration that they've done. But what Solomon is, is attesting to here is that all of outer space and all of the vast universe that is out there cannot contain our God. His glory exceeds all of that. His beauty, His majesty is greater than all of that. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can confine Him or that can contain Him. What a beautiful word for us to remember. That's how great our God is. Hallelujah. And then in verse 29, he goes on and he's praying to God. And he says, Lord, that I want your eyes to be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And then he goes on and he talks more about how when you hear it, hear in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And then he goes on and he, he prays about many different situations. I want you to know here that Solomon is making specific requests. He asks for God's eyes to be open upon this place. He asks for God's name to be here and his ears to be hearing. Then he asks, he says, when you hear from heaven, upon hearing, act and he goes through eight different scenarios. He speaks of eight different times when he is praying, eight different circumstances of life and situations that his people may find themselves in. And he says, when you hear, act in these, hear from heaven and act eight times. He says this phrase here in heaven all throughout. You read it throughout those scriptures and you will see you can count them up. Eight different times that he prays that. And I want you to notice one of them. I want you to notice this in verse 41. This, I believe, he's even praying for us. He's praying for the church. He's praying for Gentile believers here. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who's not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name in your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, 
Here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Wow! He's even including the church in that. Those foreigners, not of the Jewish nation, who would call upon the name of the Lord and who would come to know him. I mean, that just blew me away. How beautiful is that? And so he goes through and he prays this awesome prayer. And I want you to notice also, when he starts out praying the prayer, according to verse 22, he's standing with his arms lifted and spread toward heaven. But in verse 54, he's kneeling and he has to rise back up again. So sometime during this awesome prayer, he fell to his knees. I don't know if it was the awesomeness of God's presence or maybe the intensity and the heartfeltness that he was praying the prayers from, but something had brought him to his knees. And so now verse 54, he stands back up. He turns to the people. He reminds them in verse 56 that in the latter part, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. And now he's beginning to bless the Lord and bless the people. And he prays again. He, he mentions again, he says that, that the Lord will do what needs to be done in verse 59 at the last, as each day may require. God's got it. Whatever the day holds for each and every one of us, on a daily basis, he's there. On a daily basis, he's there to listen. On a daily basis, he's, a, he's there to hear in heaven. And on a daily basis, when he hears, he's there to act to whatever the, the day, whatever the need may require. God's got it. Praise God. And then we go on down in the latter part of that, beginning in verse 65 and so on. And it tells us that this happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. And then David, uh, Solomon was so excited and so engrossed in this elaborate worship of the Lord, he extended it for seven more days. The feast was seven days, and it says on the eighth day he released them. So in other words, it, it appears to me that the extra seven days of worship and, and special offerings and celebration was, was voluntary after the Feast of Tabernacles, and he stayed on. He stayed on another seven days and some with him because he was so drawn to the presence of God and worshiping God. Hallelujah. Well, then in chapter 9, God answers. Oh, hallelujah. God responds to this awesome prayer. I believe it touched the heart of God. And I believe that that prayer of Solomon in chapter 8 is still working to this day not only on behalf of the Jewish people, but also on behalf of us in the church because he covered us as well. We're the foreigners that have come to know the Lord and come for his name's sake. Hallelujah. And so the Lord appears to him a second time. And he says to him, beginning in verse three, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I've consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He goes on and he gives him a charge about staying faithful, walking before him, honoring his word. And then he promises to bless him in special ways if he will do that. But notice that in verse 3. Not only will God's eyes be there, but his heart will be there. 
I tell you what, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost now. The Bible tells us. Oh, hallelujah. And he desires. And his beautiful word here is that not only are his eyes upon us, but his heart is upon us also. How precious is that? Oh, beloved, I pray that this has been a blessing to you. It has truly been a blessing to me. And may you make a beautiful space for God in your, in your heart, in your home, and welcome him. And beloved, receive him and his eyes and his heart will be there perpetually. God bless you is my prayer. May you join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you.